that has a name yeah we do welcome to, welcome to detuned radio podcast with nat and jesse finally Woo. have a name we finally have a name this is episode five, five okay I think. I think five two here yeah <laughs> it's a good we have any of them at this point so yeah so if you're yeah we said we we're gonna do five uh so i have i have um a life lesson that has stuck with me um, is when I was 16 or 15, I joined a new, uh, school and I went from Wayne County in Michigan to Oakland County in Michigan. And this is, you are still under the middle-class umbrella, but it is a jump, you know, suddenly, oh, most of the kids had $300,000 plus houses. Yeah. Parents had two SUVs. They were college educated. And I was coming from an area where the other OC, yeah. Yes. I was coming from, it's the Oakland County, Michigan, at least then was the third richest County in America. Yes. Supposedly. Not to say everyone in Oakland County is super yeah. wealthy. I've spent a lot of time in Oakland County myself. Totally. It's totally. not but all like that. I promise the story has a point to what you were uh, saying, but or, or for, I promise the story ties into us not having a name for a while. Uh, I joined the school and everyone snowboarded and skied and did like things that I don't want to say like rich people sports. Cause like you don't have to be rich to ski, but it's just, it's yeah. Yeah. You know, it requires money. People do it. Yeah. And so Christmas sophomore year, I was like, well, I got I'm, snowboarding sounds rad. I'm into extreme sports, but I've never had anybody to like really go snowboarding with. So I asked for all the snowboarding stuff for Christmas. Like, my parents did it too. They got really nice snowboard. It was like $400. The jacket was probably $400. The grips, the boots, everything. I think they spent 15, wow. you know, uh, $100 probably on the whole kit and caboodle. And I snowboarded twice. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was just saddled with this overwhelming guilt as a two, which I, you know, I guess uh, pat myself on the back for being like conscious of the fact that my parents spent a lot of money and I wasn't using it. But like, right. I just, that was like one of those life lessons of like, Hey, maybe start, may, maybe get into the thing first. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, I didn't want to like, I didn't want to like release episode one after recording one episode. I was like, I want to make sure that we're serious about this and really doing this. That that yeah, is the moral of my story. Yes, yes, that's the that's a good moral. Uh, yeah. Similarly, I Michelle decided that she wanted to try snowboarding this past year. Uh, she never had before. I I snowboarded a bit in middle school and high school. Uh, and she found out after about an hour that she doesn't enjoy it at all. <laughs> so she went and asked to the rental, the rental place on the snow hill to uh, swap her out for skis, <laughs> and <laughs> they did. <laughs> I've heard. I've so I've never skied. I've just always heard that skiing is easier to stay upright or whatever. Yeah, that's probably yeah because 
snowboarding is a very odd. You're not used to traveling sideways unless yeah. there are unless you skateboard. But yeah, but you know, it was the nineties and or this yes. that was the, two, the year it was the year two thousand. So I everything was I needed to be rad yeah. and snowboarded. That was, that Skiing was, was for be, nerds. That was about to be a really <laughs> nice segue into our topic today until you corrected yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but before we get to the top, oh, we get before we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We still got time. I feel like a terrible person. I didn't know you have a dog, and I feel like every pet owner, I have, and that. child owner, <laughs> overshares on social media, including me. Like I, we have a whole, my wife and I have a whole Instagram account just for our cats. Yeah, um, I don't follow it. So <laughs> that's fine. It's we don't update it that much, but no. I. Like you, I'm sure there's photos of you with dog. I probably just always assumed it was like a friend's dog or something. I've never, I don't remember you saying, I love my dog. Here's a picture of my dog. Oh, I, I, um, I feel like I post a whole bunch of things. I, I feel my Instagram bio is like mostly record posts, some dog pics thrown in. <laughs> I, just, I feel like a terrible friend that I didn't yeah. know that. Well, George forgives you. Yeah, wait, what is your, your dog has a unique name? His name is George the Animal Steel because my wife didn't want us to name a pit bull mix Randy Savage. <laughs> because she's like, well, Savage for a pit bull mix. I don't know. Well, what about George the Animal Steel, his chief rival? <laughs> if you're at like Late a dog. Wrestling. Yeah, you don't want to be at the dog park and he's like maybe getting a little too aggressive with a poodle and yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. Savage, get over Randy here. Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Savage, youngs man. Oh man! <laughs> nah, he's George the Animal Steel. He's great. He's the goodest boy. <laughs> what kind of what breed? Or you said pit he's and a, then yeah, something his, else. His uh, his mom was a pit bull. His dad is a golden retriever Newfoundland mix. So he's just Aww. like this, like this goofy, cuddly, <laughs> super friendly dog. My um, yeah, I I uh. I, I was turned off to pit bulls, not because of their reputation. Right. I was turned off to them at a younger age because of the owners, because yes, people who are in there, people is. who get pit bulls are like their whole life becomes like I, my mission in life is to un uh, destigmify. Pit bulls. And I'm going yeah. to tell you, and they have shirts that say like my pit bull yeah. in, you know, it's my, and I'm like, no one has to do this with like cocker spaniels, like, ch <laughs> like chill out. And so then because the other type of pit bull owner are the ones who buy them because they can train them to be mean. So mm -hmm. it's, it, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a whole thing. I just, yeah, it, uh, we literally just were like, Oh, let's, find a dog. Let's see if any of our friends have puppies <laughs> that they're getting rid of. And a friend of mine had a puppy that he needed to get rid of. So it just, uh, just came out, you know, just, <sighs> it just worked out that way. Um, I did, I did want to mention too, that I, because we're, we're going to be talking about the nineties and, uh, how the nineties was 30 years ago, not the seventies. Like my yes. brain suggests, um, <laughs> that's such a weird, cause I'm like 30 years ago. Yeah. Like when Zeppelin was doing their stuff and I thought yeah. it'd been cool. No, 30 years that's ago, 60 like, years ago, 
No, um, there was there was a tweet a while ago that was like if that 70s if a show like that 70s show came out now it would be closer to the 90s but now yeah. i'm pretty sure that that tweet is 10 years old yeah it's like i think that 70s show came out mid to late 90s and so that's only 15 years i mean if you're talking 79 it's only 15 yeah ish years removed and like I don't even know what you would, and the world did genuinely change so much between the seventies and the nineties. I don't feel like things have changed that much since like 2003 or five. No. I mean, they have. Yeah, of course they have, obviously. Like, it's so weird to think of, like to look back at like early 2000s fashion is very jarring. (laughs) I'm mostly dressed the same. (laughs) I just wore flannel and jeans. There's also like, Brittany and Justin with the matching denim mm-hmm. suits in those and like the the low the super low rise jeans with the flares that were we, super popular. We watched uh in my my movie club that I do, we watched um Jennifer's Body uh what? I don't know, three months ago. And I had never seen it. a bunch of us had never seen it. And that's one of those movies that like history has been kind to like when it came out, it was completely marketed on oh. Megan Fox. Like you might yeah. see Megan Fox naked in this movie and there's a, <laughs> a, a lesbian scene and it was, you know, mostly didn't do great. And then it found this second audience amongst, uh, well, just, I don't know, just everyone. It's kind of been revisited. Yeah. Anyways, we watched it and in the movie club, we were all talking about all the women in, in our club were just like, please don't make low rise jeans come back. Like low rise jeans are the worst. <laughs> and I was like, Megan Fox was so hot in those though. But then you, I was reading on the trivia and like she herself, like, like de facto, one of the, the standards for, for yeah. womanly beauty said that she kind of starved herself to, to make her right. uh, like lower, your hips uh, really yeah. protrude in and make those low rise jeans look good. And I'm like, okay, if this is making yeah, Megan yeah, yeah, Fox yeah. body insecure, maybe we should weave those jeans <laughs> in the right. past. You can, you can say that. You can say that about a lot of things. I feel <laughs> <laughs> if Megan Fox is insecure wearing this, maybe we should right. just you know, retire it. <laughs> right. I, th- I think that, I think that's our segue there talking yeah. about fashions is because we are today debating the topic was the 90s, were the 90s the best decade in music or mm-hmm. are we just old? Because I feel like there's always been like that whole debate among like any age group as they come up will always say like, oh, this was the best decade for music. And it's almost always like when they were like in middle middle to high school, mm-hmm. <laughs> which also like we both missed the 90s by a bit there because i yeah yeah i like yeah i didn't come online in 99 or something like that yeah yeah i didn't start start caring about music till 2000 i was a freshman in nine yeah i was a freshman in high school in 99 yeah um and yeah i didn't start to care about music until seventh grade so like 97 um but you know I instantly went back. Like, um, I have a memory of Kurt Cobain dying, even though I didn't know who he was. I just knew he was important to the older kids because the older kids were sad and yeah. making a big deal I, out of it. So that was 94, right? 
I think so. Okay. Ooh. I so I didn't uh it might have been 94. 94. Okay. April so, I, so early 94. Yeah, Good so, lord. So I would have been probably too young to even know anyone who cared at that point. I do distinctly remember claiming that I got sad when he died, like <laughs> later on. I was like, oh yeah, and Kurt Cobain died. Like I but like I was okay, April ninety-four, I would have been seven years old. Like <clears throat> I and I, I didn't know who that who Nirvana was. I didn't care. I didn't know anyone who cared who Nirvana was. Like I all the all the older kids were like that I knew were from church. <laughs> You know, yeah, I I was like super sad about I was like eight or nine in 94. And so when he died, I would have been eight. And I just remember going to school and the junior hires and stuff were like sad about it and like mourning. And I was like, what? And then Kurt Cobain died. And I was like, okay, (laughs) like (laughs) I I'm listening to DC talk over here. And I don't know who that is. DC talk is real sad about. Kirk Cobain yeah, dying. They did all yeah, yeah, yeah. They acknowledged <laughs> they did a, they it. So. Did, yeah. So I mean Jesus Freak was smells like teen spirit with a rap verse. It really is. <laughs> um, um but no, but so, and so I really again like I didn't grow up listening to like a lot of like the seminal nineties bands. And actually like I feel like my rediscovery of the nineties is a much more recent part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I like did a whole lot of retcon. I think I've talked about on here, like the retconning that I did with my relationship with smashing pumpkins. Like I just didn't, I, f- I forced myself to say I didn't care about them because I didn't want to spend $500 on a copy of melancholy and the infinite sadness. So I just like sour grapes myself out of it until the last few years. Uh, like I didn't start listening to nine inch nails until last year like all these things. And there was Mm -hmm. even a moment where I was like looking through my record collection and realized that the nineties were the least represented decade in my whole collection. Um, But I, I think I've come, I've come back and I, and I don't know if it is just a nostalgia thing anymore. I think there's a real argument to be made that the nineties were the best Yeah, I I agree. And like all muted, all art criticism, this isn't something we can scientifically prove, right? Like whatever, like, but that's, that's, that's why you review music and like have this kind of fun because it's fun to debate. And I like, you brought this topic up and I've been thinking about it all week. And I was like, I think he's right. Like, I think the (laughs) nineties genuinely have like a fighting chance of being the best decade for music. Uh, so far. So let's, I, I want to talk about what was popular at the start of the nineties yeah. and at the end, because when you say nineties, weird people's brains yeah. think they're grunge, grunge and Nirvana. And then if it's late nineties, I think a lot of people's brains go to the, the boy bands and the Britney Spears and stuff and right. uh, the rise of new metal. Right. But, uh, side note that I, I had a dream the other night that Britney Spears played an acoustic set in my living room. <laughs> That was it's very wholesome. It's a very wholesome Britney Spears dream. And I was like, wow, she's she's a lot better at guitar than I was expecting. I didn't I, I would assume she had uh, hired all these session musicians, but in my dream, she was she was the one playing these songs. <laughs> but uh yeah, as we were uh, Nat and I were talking before the show, and like the th- 1990 hair metal was still in full yeah. swing. Like 
Like I think uh, like uh, even Poison was yeah. Still all that stuff. Nineties Poison. I know Motley Crue, Scorpions. Oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, all the, uh, like winger, like all the kind of one hit wondery yeah. ones, <laughs> uh, quiet, right? Like, even if it wasn't released in 1990, it was released a few years before and it was that wave was still going on. Yeah. Yeah. So people were still girls were still teasing well, g- men and women were still teasing their hair to impossible heights. Yeah. In the and early really, 90s, yeah. yeah, really caring about how they look. And I mean, this just establishes, yes, why I mean. Uh, Nirvana was out. The Bleach came out in what eighty nine, but they hit the mainstream in ninety one, um, and that's why it was such a sea change. Because you're going from the edgy dudes were literally wearing the the, the hot guys, music guys yeah. like Motley Crue were literally wearing S and M leather S and M gear and uh, makeup, and somehow uh, still you know the toughest. Uh, sexiest dudes around yeah. and here comes grunge well, where and, and, they're just wearing kind of whatever. Yeah. And speaking of Motley Crue and what they were wearing, I think we do have to take a second to acknowledge in this moment mm-hmm. that dude looks like a lady was written when <laughs> Steve Tyler thought Nikki six was a woman at a bar and went to hit on it. <laughs> Which so like s- fashion, side, fashion point there <laughs> side plug. You would never think this movie is good, but it's amazing. The Dirt uh, on Netflix. Uh, Nikki Six has a famously vulgar tell by uh, autobiography, and they finally made it into a film. Uh, it's The Dirt. It's on Netflix. It's about a year and a half old. Uh, it's one of the most offensive movies you will ever see. So if you um, are uh, offended, well, Nikki Six. It is Nikki. If you're easily offended, don't see it. But. It is a it is a, a joyride of a movie, and my wife and I had a blast watching it. I can't recommend it enough. Um, anyways, side note: just go watch the dirt on yeah. Netflix, but be prepared to be offended. <laughs> yeah. So, so you were um, saying so ninety? Or, oh, oh, yeah. talking about the nineties, yeah. starting with hair metal, and it kind of ends with new metal and pop. So, I just right. wanted to establish how, in ten years. That's kind of where the mainstream which went. It, which is also like the other things that are happening there, like, because so new metal really, okay, so uh, In Utero is released in 94, right? Or maybe three, 93. Three or four. Yeah, so and Kurt, and Kurt passed in 94, we established. And then I think Rage Against the Machine debuted in 95, 96. And so, like, that's really, like, where rock and roll is going at this point. But then we also have, like, outside of the radio, what mm-hmm. we have is we have shoegaze coming out from uh, Britain. Because uh, really, nobody in the United States cared about shoegaze, really, mm-hmm. until, like, the mid-90s. Um, it was almost exclusively a British uh, move. I said England, big apology to my bloody Valentine here because <laughs> they're Scottish. So, and then that's inspiring bands like Hum, who are inspiring bands like Smashing Pumpkins, who are inspiring bands like the Deftones, we said. Uh, mm. And so it's just, a, and then you also have the whole rise of emo happening underneath there. So, like, you have like Captain Jazz and Sunny Day Real Estate and Mineral, and Captain Jazz was a bit later, but. Uh, Mineral and Christie Front Drive and Drive Like Jehu and yeah. uh, Texas is the Reason are all like 
I think, yeah, those are all 90s, right? Those are all mid-90s. Fugazi started in, I think their first EP was 89, and then they, like, Mm -hmm. just went through, and their last record was, I believe, 2000. So, like, they had almost exclusively a 90s career. The... Yeah. So what? And uh, attached to attached to Fugazi, the entire almost the entirety of Discord Records. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so so what's been interesting? Sonic Youth. I mean, it's like such a whirlwind. Yeah. So so yeah. I'm what two 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 years older than you, but I also have a chi- I had a chip on my shoulder. Um, I, was, I was the only child, and I always wanted to sit at the big kids' table um, as soon as possible. Like. And what I mean by that is, if, if you don't know what I mean by big kids table, like when you go to Christmas dinner or yeah. Thanksgiving dinner, there is a table and the kids go sit at it and the adults talk about politics or what's in the news or like whatever. Like I was like eight and like, well, I want to, I want to talk about the Monica Lewinsky scandal. <laughs> like, what do you, you know, <laughs> like put me in, you know, I got opinions. Um, and yeah, I, I remember, uh, my grandpa is who explained what uh, oral sex was to me because we were watching like <laughs> Dateline or 2020. And of course they're having to talk about it and yeah, very uh, as clinical terms as they can. And I was like, grandpa, what's oral sex? And he's like, uh, and you just kind of said it as straight <laughs> as you can. And yeah. I looked at my dad and my dad just made this face like, well, now, you know, son. And I was just like, <laughs> Oh boy. Like I, I, my, I hadn't thought of that yet. So somehow the, the reminder, like that story then reminded me that pop punk was having its moment too. Mm-hmm. So like, cause then my brain immediately went to blink 182 and then, but like green day was debuting around that same time. Blink. Weezer was around that same time. Um, actually side note, uh, it's, a, it's just a good thing to mention here that Blue by Weezer and Diary by Sunday Day Real Estate were released on the same day mm-hmm. in I, 1994. It's, it's so, oh, so I, 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 I had a point with the Big Kids Table bit, which yeah, is that- Big Kids Table, sorry. Dis, the Big Kids Table, which was that uh, despite being born in, in 85, so I was 10 in like 95, right? I was nine or eight when Kurt died. I always wanted to like get into what the yeah. cool kids were into. And so I remember like when seventh grade hit and I mentioned this uh, on previous show and all the, the rise of Eminem and new metal and, and all that stuff. Um, one of the very first things I did was had the older kids tell me like this one guy, like had a whole CD burning business that he did in our school. And I was just like, make me a mix, make me a mix of the stuff, man. Like what's the good stuff. And he like put a bunch of silver chair and smashed pumpkins and Foo Fighters and Nirvana. And then he burned me. I came back to him and I was like, Oh my God. And then he burned me uh, in utero and never mind. Yeah. And so like while I'm like, I'm not being a poser and being like, I was there, man. I was there like shortly after, but right. not my peers weren't. It was just because I was like, you know, just consuming as much yeah. as I could. And then I remember being a freshman. And when I was a freshman was when, again, an older kid who was a senior came into our band practice and we were making a new, we were a, we were a new metal bands and we were called Ignite. <laughs> oh, uh, my, my, we were terrible. My, my new metal band that never wrote any songs or practice was called Power Outage. We, <laughs> That's great. But then we changed our name. Then we changed our name when Hybrid Theory came out to Papercut, 
which is the first track on hybrid. Theory. <sighs> um, um, but no, he, this dude comes in and he's like, Oh, are you guys playing? And we're talking, what are you, he's like, what are your influences? And we're like corn. And I guess smashing pumpkins too a little bit. And he was like, have you guys heard emo and like gave my buddy a copy of LP two and uh, what it feels like to be something on. And, uh, and then my buddy comes back, my buddy comes back after the weekend. It's like, we got to do emo. I was like, what? No, man. (laughs) And so, and so what's interesting is that in all the, in all the conversations we've had so far about all the great rock and roll that happened, like we have not mentioned hip hop at all, which like the nineties were when hip hop broke, mm-hmm. you know? So like you had like a uh, tribe called quest was coming out. Wu-Tang clan 13 chambers was 93. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it had been this underground movement for a while. And like, you know, sugar Hill gang was 79, which is insane to think about. But like you had Sugar Whoa. Hill Gang and Grandmaster Flash through the 80s. But then like in the 90s, it actually became like a mo- freaking Will Smith is mm-hmm. like doing raps on the radio. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was on. Yeah. It was on network TV. Well, and it was as a white suburban kid. And as most of our mainstream culture was still very much controlled by what do white people like? Right. To see hip hop explode meant that white people were getting into hip hop, right? Like yes, it couldn't, absolutely, it couldn't have only exploded if only black people were listening to it. And so I think then we get into the whole like the Tipper Gore stuff and all the the, the, the panic in the '90s of yeah. uh, morals and whatever. And we can talk about the coded racism and all that, but it it's it's it was the it felt it felt uh, I want to be careful with my language here. Like it felt like foreign to me, but not, I don't mean that in like a exactly like in a cool yeah, yeah, yeah. way. No, I, like, I get it. It's yeah. Oh, what's over there? I don't, right. I don't live They're They're next door, but it's what are they doing over there? Know. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, there are moments where, and we can probably get into this if we ever do a hip hop episode, but like there are definitely moments where like I've heard a, a hip hop record that I have said like, Oh, this is, this is not like, white boy relatable hip hop. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. is, this is strictly like the black experience unapologetic mm-hmm. hip hop that like I have to get over this. Like, I don't understand this to like, mm-hmm. uh, to pimp a butterfly is the most. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, that's, the that's a very poignant example of that. That's a very cutthroat um, example. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I remember but, like, when that, that came out, it was like as a fan of his, everywhere. uh, uh, what his second breakout album, yeah, which was I would say mainstreamish, and then you go to Pimp a Butterfly and you're excited and you're like, oh, he's gonna talk about like hard, heavy, he's, yeah, stuff he's, that is not like for a white audience. It. He went yeah. for it. He went for um, it. Um, but yeah, but like again, like '90s, like none of this had happened before. Mm-hmm. Like we weren't. Nobody was. I how, when when was Walk This Way with with Run DMC. <sighs> Oh, I want to say like eighties. That was the first. That was a that big was like the, that was olive the branch. Right. Yeah, that was a big olive branch. Um, let me see. That was nineteen eighty six. Wow, eighty six. Yeah. Okay, okay. eighty six. And so, but so that would would have definitely brought Wait. some of the moments. But also, like it's like that, and there's like bring the noise with Anthrax, and like 
Yeah. That's yeah. Almost all you have very limited flavors <laughs> of hip hop before this. And then it just like explodes. Like the mid nineties, you have my God, like the you've got Snoop coming out, you got Dre coming out, you got Eminem coming out later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, just count Tupac and Biggie and like it's just countless explosions of hip hop becoming mainstream. And like to your point about like white panic, like I specifically remember the top 40 radio station in my area had a billboard Mm -hmm. by my house, like on the bus route when you left our neighborhood that said, uh, U93, all today's hits without the rap. (laughs) That was like a thing. It's, (laughs) it's like, I mean, you know, as off his rocker as he is now, Kanye West, he's made a point uh, a couple years ago and said something like, rappers are the new rock stars like and he was like name something like name one famous modern rock star and there's like oh like jack white is like the closest or like josh hame dave grohl like right maybe but it's it's probably the the he's in his 50s right and he's in his 50s and also like compare his net worth to jay-z yeah yeah like talk about there's (laughs) not not a billionaire in the 90s you had every time a new rock band came out, the weed singer at least was pretty popular right now. But yeah. right now it's like, it's Lil Yachty. And well, like just, it's, it's, it's rap, rap dominates. And so the other point I want to touch on with rap before we uh, pivot elsewhere is that um, as much as I dislike him, uh, Puff Daddy. Uh, oh my gosh. Was a genius. He was a, he came up with a master plan of how do I, package this up and sell it. And uh, my memory of the late nineties when we got MTV and stuff was yeah. just all was the everywhere. All. Yeah. The, all his music videos and they all just, they were high production value. They were like seven yeah. minutes long with skits in it. And I, had, <laughs> I, I just had a very distinct memory of watching the weird Al video for it's all about the Pentiums. Oh my uh, god! The, oh my the, god! The computer-themed <laughs> parody of oh all about boy. the Benjamins. I downloaded that. I had to download it. Like I couldn't yeah. stream it anywhere. I had to download it and yeah. watch it on QuickTime on my dad's work computer while I was waiting for him to do something. <laughs> <laughs> I the yeah. I remember like downloading music videos every once in a while of you know some FTP server and it took forever. And then you just be like, well, I guess that's the music video. Oh, Um, I, I I waited for two hours to download the music video for, I don't want to change the world. I just want to change your mind by squad five. Oh, in like, it was like 2001, 2002. My family had dial up way longer than we were supposed to, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, um, I, my, I literally had a conversation where my mom said, no, we're not going to upgrade our, our internet. Just just steal the Wi-Fi from the neighbors so you can get it in the front room. Um, I, and so in my we were still on dial-up while Wi-Fi was a thing. But oh wow, I, okay, that's I down, yeah. I downloaded that video and it was worth every second. I was like, this is a hundred percent worth it. And then years later, I kind of opened for Squad Five O at Audio Feed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my six, 16th or 15th birthday, I think it was my 15th birthday present was upgrading to cable. Ooh. I, it's Fancy. all because I was a gamer and yeah. I was playing 
Quake 3 and Unreal Tournament <laughs> uh, and a bunch of other stuff yeah. on the family gateway computer yeah. on like net zero and like the little <laughs> banner would flicker. Yeah. Uh, if you're listening, you don't know what net zero is, is it was free dial up, but you had, it had a permanently running ad banner on your yeah. computer. And uh, if you did a full screen video game, it would like flicker in and out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, was, I begged my parents. And so I remember, I think it was like $20 a month and they were like, this is a big deal, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, talking about all this incredible mm-hmm. music that's come out in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And again, like, we haven't even hit on the pop revolution later on. Mm-hmm. All the boy bands and the teeny boppers and Britney Spears and Xtina and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. And man, there were so many of those boy bands at that time. There were like, so many. O Town, 98 Degrees. <laughs> like, because they so just many. made money. Like they, they just kept so doing it and money. they kept making money. So and much money. And then Justin Timberlake decided he could make more money solo. And then everyone else was like, oh yeah, why are we paying five guys to do the work of one? Um, <laughs> but so, and that's how we got Justin Bieber instead of, I guess One Direction was still contemporary. So I th- here's, here's what I think was happening in the 90s that made it so special. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think it does start with Nirvana. Nirvana comes out and they have this huge hit and they're on Geffen Records, which mm-hmm. is a major label. And it's the fact that they that that was released on a major label is nuts. And it also then like started an arms race with every other major label. Mm-hmm. And so you have every single major label in the game is trying to sign the next Nirvana. And so you see Sonic Youth and the Melvins. The Melvins had a <laughs> yeah. had a major label contract. Drive Like Jehu had a major label contract. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, Yank Crime, I think, was on Interscope. Oh. It's a major it's a but, major label record. Yeah, like the narrative, the narrative has always been, oh, just get good and play a bunch of shows and right. some executive will walk in and hear you and no. whatever. But like in the nineties that became true for a minute. It actually was true. They're it like, actually, go to yeah. Seattle and find me the next Nirvana. And they're like, uh, real estate, mud was honey, like booked that way. Yeah. Mud honey. I mean, Melvin's were booked specifically because they were from Aberdeen. <laughs> like, Hey, it's, you are also loud and from Aberdeen. Let's see what happens. And then three really loud, weird records later, they go, eh, okay. Um, but then it's, and so it's unreal. Like the amount of bands that were given these major label contracts, trying to capitalize on the next Nirvana, like smashing pumpkins, like as marketable as they later become with Siamese dream, like Gish is not super radio friendly. Well, and to, to touch and, on your and several moments of, melancholy are just straight up like noisy. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but I was going to say Gish had one foot in the shoegazy sound. Yeah. Um, Because Billy Corgan loved my bloody Valentine. And, and yeah, when I, I didn't listen to Gish until um, I was an adult. Yeah. And, and also um, as uh, we are, uh, it's the seventh right now. So we are three days away, three days after the 30th anniversary of Loveless by My Bloody Valentine, oh, wow. which is insane. Wow. <laughs> which is insane. So I have a, I have a 
a small theory about oh, why have, the nineties. My, my theory goes on though. Oh, oh sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry. So, so we have all these major labels pumping money into these these like punk bands, mm -hmm. these wild experimental bands, and also I feel like the success of hip hop in the main realm is also mm -hmm. like trying to find an answer for that as well. I feel mm -hmm. like there is a bit they like saw, oh, Nirvana's angry. So if we capitalize on this money that on this music that is also tapping into a similar sense of resentment, we'll do that. But what's also happening outside of the major labels is that most of the CD, most of the music production is transitioning from vinyl, which is very expensive to CDs and tapes, mm -hmm. which are very cheap. And so you have people like Ian Mackay from Fugazi who can start their own record labels at the age of like 15 because it doesn't cost $2,000 to do a run of CDs the way it did <clears throat> a run of vinyl. And so you have, and then you have all these tapes being made and all these CDs which then later, like when CD burning, like home creation of CDs became a thing, that changed so much of like the way music was distributed. Uh, and like I, I knew so many bands that would just like record a demo onto their computer and then burn a bunch of CDs. Mm -hmm. uh, and even more who would record onto a tape and then give it out. That's I, how... We did my band's first record in 2006. Yeah. We did an EP and one of the dudes in the band bought like a CD burning tower. There's like yeah. a, looked like a computer tower, but it was just yeah. all CD racks. And right. the top one would be the one you want to copy. And the other ones would be whatever. The problem is, is that's not industry standard method. That right. method's it's very flawed. So a lot of the people we would get back and like one out of every 10 would be like, you know, song four skips or song. And yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, here's a new one. Yeah, right. But, but And then also the late 90s, you had your Napsters and your LimeWire and you finally, like the internet had caught up to a speed where you could download music and distribute music, which would really like set up stuff getting wild in the 2000s. But like, let's not discount mm -hmm. the fact that like Pinkerton came out sold very poorly and then mm -hmm. was seated all over Napster and led to Weezer reuniting after. Yeah. There's so much. The one other thing I want to talk about with the nineties and, and I'm sure there's a bunch, but there was a second Britpop invasion in oh, yeah. the form of Oasis and Blur yeah. and Blur. If you're an American, never blew up over here other than song two or the right. song that everybody knows goes woohoo. And then, um, and then when he did gorillas, which is and what then, Auburn's been doing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think what gorillas is, was like a one or a two. Um, it, yeah, but it was, it was a little later. I like got really into blur in the early two thousands yeah. and was just sort of like, Oh my God, why, why didn't I hear more about it? And then doing my own, like doing research on it and realizing that they were at war with Oasis and those, yeah. the, those bands hate each other. And then Oasis just completely won the war, at least at an international Overseas, level. Overseas, yeah. When uh, What's the Story Morning Glory came out uh -huh. and it was no contest. Um, but it's just funny to think that a band like Blur, who is it's so good, like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a big, big, big Blur fan. But when you listen to the music, it's 
it's so like it's pop, but not in like a not yeah. in like a, a Britney Spears way, but in right. like a I don't know a very distinctly like, British way. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like a it's like a Kinks, early Beatles, early Rolling Stones yeah. sort of revival. And um, yeah, I'm like, well, I understand why this didn't blow up over here. Whereas when you put on uh, either of the first two Oasis records, yeah. it's just the the level of sound, the space, it just seems so vast. It sounds like it was recorded yeah. in the Grand Canyon or something. Whereas like Blora right, was doing right, these right. tight little sound. Anyways, yeah. I wanted to at least acknowledge that there was this thing that was pr- definitely bigger in the UK, but the whole Britpop war between Blur and Oasis was, right. you know, a yeah. thing. And, and Britpop, I mean, was big. It, it got big because like the Benz by Radiohead is a Britpop yeah. record. Yeah. That's a Britpop record. I think you could argue that they helped, you know, the success of Oasis yeah. and Bloor probably oh, helped 100%. 100%. Bowie Radiohead over here. Britpop was such a weird little thing because it's like, I feel like most of the bands doing Britpop they did it really big for like three years and then they all were like, all right, let's do something else. <laughs> like universally. Yeah. I mean, again, I didn't really get into Blur until I was in my 20s and I bought yeah. their greatest hits double oh, yeah. album. And then I was just like, why do I only know song two? Why is the rest of this stuff? And now I am a massive Blur fan, but like, I was just almost angry of like, okay, I like Oasis. I do. Yeah. I'm Oasis defender. Yeah. Mostly I find them wildly entertaining. Now the brothers just never like they're, they, hate they will other. like they, do you remember that? Speaking of the nineties, do you remember celebrity death match on MTV? Oh with my God. Yes. yes. In the nineties, they had the Gallagher brothers fight each other. Like, <laughs> and on celebrity death match. Like that's, that's how so old funny. their hatred for each other is. <laughs> um, God, what a relic. Uh, I, I, I do remember there was some like VH1 behind the music thing that I watched about Oasis. And the thing that always like stands out to me was when I think it, who was the, who was the singer? Was it Liam? Liam's the singer, Noel's the main guitarist and songwriter. Okay. Okay. So there was an Oasis show that Liam just refused to like go do. And so Noel came out and like, was going to sing the songs himself and like, he like wrote them. Right. Right. He, yeah. He's he like, here little brother go sing. And then Liam right. would be like, I'm the face of the band. Right. But so Lee, uh, so Noel sat down and was like, hi everybody. Sorry. Liam couldn't be here. He has a sore throat. And then Liam's like in the balcony heckling him. Yeah. I've, I've read this <laughs> like, story as well. So bizarre. It's yeah. Uh, oh man. We're a little off the beaten path, but reading about Oasis's drama is so fun. Like it's it is wild. Remarkable. Yeah. Um, you, you touched on something else that I, I think is a touchstone, at least my memory of the nineties and what got me into music and what has kept me away from drugs. And that is behind the music. Um, I, so when it was an hour long on TV, at least, and often it would be yeah. longer commercial interrupted. Right. And they're well-made documentaries and they just be like behind the music on guns and roses. You know, it's like 98 and I'm like, okay. And I'd watch it every, every single one of them, every single one of them at some point, someone in the band, if not the whole band gets really into heroin, someone dies, 
it ruins their life. You know, they all, they all cheat on each other with each other's wives. They all hate each other. Right. right. And then it shows them now like, but we like patch things up and we're doing a reunion tour. And like that stuck with me. And so people would be like, Oh, why don't, why haven't you ever tried this? Are you a square or whatever? And I'm like, I watched a lot of behind the music and I never, (laughs) I never saw any of these rockers that I liked and looked up to go. I'm so glad I did heroin. Great. Like, I'm glad, you know, I never, you know, so. The story, Never touched the, the stuff. Story, right. The big story like that, that always has stuck with me was Aerosmith, um, which this is the second time I'm bringing up Aerosmith on this podcast. <laughs> I don't actually like Aerosmith that much, but um, my mom is a huge Aerosmith fan. So, but they like got to a point where they all like were just about to die if they didn't stop doing drugs and they hated each other and whatever. And they're like, all right, let's just all get clean. Like, let's never touch this thing. Like to the point that they like, kick roadies off their tour if they mm-hmm. are, if they have drugs. And mm-hmm. so like, it's just like this thing where like this, and, and it's weird because like so many bands have had that like off the rails moment mm-hmm. and like Aerosmith avoided, I, I don't, they may have had it, but came back from it just yeah. by their own willpower, which, you know, respect where it's due. Um, and then they uh, they did that Armageddon song that I they did that hate. Armageddon song. I did I did love that Armageddon song. Oh, I did not. I, I tell hated you what, I tell that you, song. I tell you what, if you're uh, it was if you're so in high big. School, if you're in high school, fresh off a breakup, and no one's at home, that's a great song <laughs> to sing by yourself. I remember it was TRL. I think it might have still been Carson Daly Live because mm. man, they had the Carson Daly Live. <laughs> And then they MTV came out with like a four episode block, four half hour shows in the evening, and yeah. TRL was one of them. And uh, or I think, TRL I think might was be the most. I think Carson popular. was the host, right, of TL, TRL. He he was, but but he had a he had a show on MTV called MTV MTV Live, and it was from four to five p.m. And I remember like oh, and then and then he went to TRL. Yes, because oh, so he did I that. He was just famous from TV. It was just called like Carson Daly Live or Live on okay. MTV or something live. And then they did a four block show thingy in the evening. I think like Matt Pinfield hosted one of them. Yeah. And then TRL was like by far and away the most popular. And then they moved that and replaced Carson Daly Live sure. with that, but kept Carson as the host. Yeah. All that to say, I remember that was the era when I got home from school, I would watch TRL oh, and see oh, absolutely. where the videos were. And I got so mad because that Aerosmith song dominated for like a year. <laughs> it was and I was like, all the time. I was like, who is voting for this? This is supposed yeah. to be for young people. Uh, <laughs> like who is into this song? Yeah. So um, around that same time when I was uh, fourth grade, fifth grade or so, um, so that had been. 97, 98, mm-hmm. my mom told us that we weren't allowed to watch MTV. We weren't allowed to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark on Nickelodeon. And so, but she got home after we did. And so- You're like, good luck enforcing like, it, mom. Right, so there was like a 45 minute to an hour and a half window between us getting home and her coming home. And we, yeah. had, a, we had a motorized garage door that's like super loud. You can hear it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So we would, we would get off the bus 
right when Are You Afraid of the Dark was starting. So my sister would run to the TV, turn on <laughs> Are You Afraid of the Dark. We'd catch like maybe the last, because it's usually like three stories or something. Something like that. Yeah, they're so little we'd, vignettes. We'd catch like the last like two or three or one or two. And then she would switch over to MTV until my mom got home. And that's that's mostly what I remember from MTV. But like also like, if we're talking about if we're talking about the importance of music in the '90s, we cannot discount MTV as a force. Um, yeah, no, it decided like, what was popular. It still had sway. Like now, you, yeah, M- MTV is just another network that does. I don't even know yeah, it. Like I'm so dated that I think my sweet 16 is probably what's on MTV. And I bet that's like 15 years old. Oh, it so I don't even know what's on, on MTV. I, that's what I, that was on when I was in high school. Um, I have no, no idea what's on MTV right now. <laughs> I, I don't know, but like the, so music videos were like incredibly novel. Mm-hmm. Like that was such a thing. And it, it was to some artists detriment, I think like, so I think Billy Joel in particular, like he just started writing songs that would make good music videos mm-hmm. instead of writing good songs. I don't have a super high opinion of Billy Joel. <laughs> but My friend Ross is a giant Billy Joel fan and yeah. uh, hates Radiohead. And we often bicker on Twitter about <laughs> this exact fact. I'm like, how are you even going to dunk on me about Radiohead and you like Billy Joel? And, and you like, like Billy, Billy Joel, Joel. And then he'll go under this rant about why Billy Joel is actually good. There's <sighs> there's a community bit where uh, somebody says something about like, well, what can't Billy Joel do? And Pierce Hawthorne, uh, Chevy Chase's character goes, write a decent song. <laughs> and I love that moment so much. Just like... <laughs> There's a schmaltziness too. And and he lasts like right, like he was releasing songs in the nineties. He, he wasn't yeah. popular maybe on MTV and in my world, but he was still he like was still going. Yeah. The boomers were still buying him. Um <laughs> but yeah, it, um but no, like through like the nineties, like you had all those rap videos, like all those Puff Daddy videos, all like and then you got into like, you know, all the Britney and Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and all, it was just such a force. Like well, I remember, I remember a guy on the bus being like, well, you know, NSYNC, NSYNC still sucks, but that bye, bye, bye. That's a cool video. That's a dope track. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, this is at least entertaining. You can't like, escape. Yeah. You can't, couldn't escape the zeitgeist of it. Uh, I have distinct memory of, of two music videos that were known for how expensive they were. Uh, Trent Reznor's or Nine Inch Nails, The Perfect Drug, which is a, a big single. And I I think it's on the wall. I don't know. It's on a soundtrack for some movie, but I love that song. But he's singing. I'm going to guess Requiem for a Dream. No, no. I think it's uh, that David Lynch movie, Lost Highway, I think is what it is. But You're that right. video was famous for costing a bajillion dollars yeah. and apparently camera equipment froze because they filmed it in a freezer because he oh. wanted to be cold and show his breath. <laughs> so that one was always famous for being, Oh my God, this thing costs millions of dollars, which was like a big yeah. deal for music video. And then Michael Jackson did scream uh, oh. that also featured his sister in space. And that one yeah. was also like a bajillion dollars. So like people couldn't, those two music videos always came up of like, right. Oh yeah. Well, Michael Jackson spent a billion dollars on this music video. And you're like, Oh, oh wow. And you also, like that's just what Michael Jackson was getting mm-hmm. from the label <laughs> yeah. to make music videos at that point. Like he was filming feature films. 
one. Right, yeah. Like, and, and it, he actually did do a feature film of music mm-hmm. videos in Moonwalker, mm-hmm. um, which like has freaking everybody in it. <laughs> like one of the videos is just all these celebrities, like who are mean, talking about like, is Michael going to be here? Did you see, is Michael, <laughs> did Michael talk to you? Who's directing this? The, I remember again, growing up in Christian household that wasn't, see, my parents were not seeking out what was popular. And in fact, they were probably avoiding it. Right. I, Michael Jackson was still so big that like, um, you could, I remember like when, do you remember the time came out and again, huge music, a big bunch of music, video, very Egyptian themed. Mm -hmm. And he shows up and he has to like, I think he's like entertaining kind of the, uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And you know, cost time money. And then at the starter end of the VHS of free Willie, had um oh, it was the, a michael yeah. jackson song <laughs> a yes. michael jackson music video on it yeah and yeah they were just like i don't know like they would play them like before 2020 and dateline it felt like like i don't know if that's accurate <laughs> but my me- like my parents were not turning on mtv to see the new michael no. jackson music video it was just so everywhere that like and yeah the my- regular people tv they just would show a michael jackson video yeah no michael ja- like michael jackson even like through the 90s was very <laughs> ubiquitous and like even to the point where like people were making jokes about his appearance mm-hmm. and then also bopping his music videos Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this guy's super weird. But oh yeah, yeah. His music's great. His music's great. Because uh, because of my age, I didn't grow up knowing young Michael. I I oh, knew no. uh, the extremely uh, pale post yeah, nose job Michael right. of the nineties. I knew the Michael Jackson that Weird Al parodied. Yeah, yeah. And so and, um, and I will and I will take this moment on the now the second Weird Al reference of the day <laughs> to point out. <laughs> I, I am a very big Weird Al fan, but also like I think Weird Al had a huge hand in either following or like sort of pointing to like he was a great curator mm. of what was good. And I think the rise of his career probably elevated a lot of different and it was probably a segue to a lot of different people. So like I did not hear Nirvana before I heard his song smells like Nirvana. <laughs> and like, I did not hear nine inch nails before I heard the alternative polka, you know? And so like, Oh, I haven't heard that one. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look yeah, that up later. The alternative then. polka is all like, it's wild. It's got like, uh, I think there's some, Nine Inch Nails are in it. Smashing Pumpkins are in it. There's Bullet Bullet with Butterfly Wings is on that track. Um, oh, so he like goes through a medley. Yeah, it's a medley. It's one of his okay. polka medleys that he does. He does a polka medley on most albums, but and it's got like a, I think Sex and Candy's on there. <laughs> oh my God, that song. Beck is in there. He did Loser by Beck, which like how have we been talking about '90s and alt rock and haven't brought up Beck? So and like college rock in general, like that's like a missed um, opportunity. And I and that I think that points again to like the accessibility of what everything was doing. There's was, so much. There's so it, much. Oh gosh. In the nineties. And I feel like if we talked about the two thousands or the twenty tens, I just don't feel this way about it. No. Like I, I would go, oh my uh, god, there's this record and this record and right. that's good. But there wasn't like we're talking about back, like if you talk about 
Odalay and Mutation um, and, and Midnight Vultures. Now people are like, oh yeah, those are good records and whatever, but they were yeah. popular then. This isn't they like were, ret, this isn't retconning. Right, no, like they were like, big then. Mellow Gold was huge. Like I yeah. remember seeing, I was walking into like a circuit city or something and seeing huge posters for Sea Change everywhere. Yeah, oh, God, record. Um, and like, that's a sad record. Like, that's not the type super, of record that you would. Super that's sad. Not the type of record that you would put like a multi-million-dollar marketing campaign behind. Yeah. Unless Beck was incredibly yeah. popular. Like I uh, In, dis- uh, distinctly remember, I again couldn't couldn't willingly. Well, one, I didn't have money because I was a child, uh, <laughs> and I couldn't go buy the secular music I wanted. And so my parents bought me uh, a project 86. I had a project 86 CD. Hell yeah. uh, Who I still like. It was the second one drawing black. Yes. That's the Uh, best one. It is. It is is heavy. uh, That is Um, one of the few new metal records that I'm now. I'm like, it was, this holds up. This holds up. I, I, I guess it doesn't matter if I, I could be totally wrong. Listeners don't care, but I think it was Project Six Drawing Black Lines and Blindside's first record. Um, yeah. The one that's just like a crappy photo of a... The monkey, a thought crushed my mind. Yes, that record. I, I, made, um, a meme, I made a meme a couple of weeks ago uh, where I replaced the mask with a picture of Megan the Stallion and changed it to a thought crushed my mind. <laughs> Thought. Okay. A thought crushed my mind. Okay. And T-H-O-T and the uh, old school tooth and nail group on Facebook was not about it. <laughs> People were really mad. Um, no, I had these two records and my friend was really into new metal. He liked corn and yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. He was the one that got me into it and he could buy whatever he wanted. And he had Blink-182's Dude Ranch and yeah. uh, Beck Odelay. Yeah. And I remember seventh or eighth grade, I traded him those, the Project Six and Blinded record for uh Dude Ranch and, and Odoi. And uh, that was the best deal. That's the best deal. Like that's, that was the best decision <laughs> I've ever, like, uh, that's like almost like buying Bitcoin in the early day or something. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm torn on that because I am still a huge fan of, of project 86 and blindside of, of that. Well, of, of that project record, uh, that's not, I was, I didn't get into blindside until later, but. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I remember going and putting on devil's haircut was very, uh, which oh was the Beck single, very edgy still everywhere. But the whole rest of the record didn't sound like that. And I oh. feel like that was almost like a, it was like the, the pill and the hot dog for like a dog. Like, here you go. <laughs> like that was his way of going, Okay, now you're gonna listen to this weird folk, yeah. hip hoppy stuff with like, you know, uh, a Hammond keyboard, and you're just like, what? Yeah. So I remember my dad distinctly being like cool with Beck because he was like, this is a musician. This is a guy who's actually like actually doing, doing stuff. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like the rest of the music I liked, he was like, this is gar-, you know, didn't like yeah. it. Beck is man, that's that's a career right there. Like it's yeah, totally. what a chameleon. And, still and, and he's still going. Back. He's still going. Yeah. Going, yeah. What's, he, what was his um, last? He had col- something called Colors. Colors. I didn't like Colors. I did like uh, the one after that Hyper View. Yeah, it was like Hyper, very new wave. It, yeah, it was like a very like, outrun sort of. 
look. It is called Hyperspace. That it's I remember. Got like that. a like an eighties. What's that? Yeah. Like charger on it. I don't know cars. It's a hatchback so, of some kind. Maybe a Supra. Yeah. Okay. I remember because in uh, uh, Pharrell Williams, I believe. Yeah. Pharrell, me, I believe Pharrell, Pharrell did this record. He, yeah, he co-wrote he co-wrote a number of the songs. Okay. I don't know how much of it he produced, but it's like he had a good like sort of like chill wave sort of vibe. Wait, to it. Um, so yeah, again, we're doing all this talking, even just about one eclectic uh, right. talented artist in the '90s, and like um, it's just so so I, to, to circle back to kind of rein it and wrangle it a little bit. It's you go from the start of the decade, like John Bon Jovi uh, is in, in other <laughs> hairish adjacent yeah. metal and rock. Brian Adam, and Brian Adams and stuff like that. And then as far as just even on the rock spectrum, yeah, you got so much. And then we obviously talked uh, uh, briefly about hip hop. And then there was the country uh, oh like the gosh. main, the mainstreamification yeah. of country to the point where the highest selling record of the nineties, the Shania Twain's come on over. Uh, my mother yeah. had that record and she didn't buy uh, secular <laughs> music. And my yeah. mother, like that CD was just permanently yeah. in her CD yeah. player. Shania Twain um, and Garth Brooks and Faith yeah. Hill. Was Faith Hill in nineties? Yep. 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 Uh, I had my first. I had my first dance uh, with the with a lady uh, to a Faith Hill song. <laughs> I was uh, I think it was like a Halloween party in uh, like eighth grade or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had yeah, first slow and, dance. It was, it was romantic. And really, I don't know. It's it. It just feels like, again, like Nirvana had this huge success, and then everyone in the world tried to capitalize on it, and so you had all the labels putting money into elevating these artists to do whatever mm. they wanted. And then you have music reproduction getting cheaper. And then, so it's more accessible and everyone's like, well, then I'm going to do it too. And so then you just have the entire, um, mu the, I feel like the entire music industry just like pumped itself full of cash at like yeah. every level. Uh, and like, we're, if we want to talk about like the two thousands, I think the reason we wouldn't, want to do that is because by the end of the nineties, they started realizing that that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and so, well, it, it worked for a little bit, it worked but for like, a while, but like, like as not, you mentioned, CDs are cheaper to make. Yeah. So they, it's, they were right. making more money, but then when, when Napster and such hit right. and, and people just got fatigue of yeah. keeping up. But then um, I, th yeah. I think it's also like the, a lot of the labels realize like, you know, we're not going to find the next Nirvana. We're not going to find the next NSYNC just by giving everybody money. So let's like kind of shore up and be a little bit more. And so then you have, like we talked about in the last episode, you have uh, Maverick telling Deftones that they need to write a single because mm -hmm. Papa Roach has a single that sounds like this. So you better have yeah. something that sounds like this. Uh, and I don't know what it was specifically where it just of the nineties where it just felt like everybody was going, uh, just like trying to make this happen, <laughs> which is like the fact that the fact that both smashing pumpkins and nine inch nails were given untold amounts of money to go mm -hmm. into the studio and do whatever they wanted mm -hmm. on melancholy and the fragile is just yeah. like major labels are making this music yeah. happen.
Which like, are both du- and those are both double records and cost double album. Uh, Amy, you're you're paying thirty dollars to buy that, right? Because they yeah. they cost like almost double what a, a single yeah. uh, CD did. And and I don't know, I don't know how long. Like I haven't dug into like the the writing process of Melancholy as much, but like he wrote the Fragile over like four years. Yeah, he t- he took like his time between records. Years. Yeah, um, and it like the fact that you would have a label who's just paying you this much money. I often wonder like, could I release an album that important if somebody just like (laughs) paid me for over years to do this? Yeah. It's like, I'd like to think I could pay me someone, some patron out there, give me a bunch of money. (laughs) It's like, uh, well, no. And then, and then you had older artists like David Bowie, who oh, in the nineties teamed 90s, up with yeah. Trent Reznor and yeah. made I'm afraid of Americans, which Trent uh, produced and stars in the music video for. And a lot of the older artists who stayed relevant yeah. in the nineties. And we mentioned Aerosmith, like there, right. it wasn't just all new music. There were a lot of older groups who right. pivoted uh, and even guns and roses. Like they had like November rain and they had their, their use your illusion record. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like we, we can't talk about the nineties and talk about older artists doing this without bringing up smooth by Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas. <laughs> that was just a spit take. I, I, I am an unapologetic fan of was those records. Okay. There was a wave of that style of contemporary adult rock yeah. of matchbox 20 third eye blind. And then there's a whole, whole slew of them. Man, yes. freaking Goo Goo Dolls. I think that uh, might be 2000, 2001. Uh, so I think we might be after the 2000s. Um, Dizzy Up the Girl yeah. was a little earlier than that. 98. Really? 98 was Dizzy Up the okay. Girl. Because, because Iris was in that Nicolas Cage movie, City of Angels with <gasps> Meg Ryan. I, re- I remember I bought that record. And, as soon as, and as soon as 2000 hit, Soon as the nineties were over, everyone said, Meg Ryan, we're sorry. You can't have a career anymore. <laughs> and we just, <laughs> I don't know. She was probably well, in something in the two thousands. Though <laughs> I she had a moment. She had a moment in the nineties. I tell you what. Um, I remember that Disney of the go record. I got it uh, somehow. So I don't remember. And then so good. Um, a cool, like a hot girl who is like a grade or two older than me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how she knew I had it, but she was like, can I borrow it? And I was like, <laughs> I'm torn because I really like this record right now and I want to keep listening to it, but also you're hot and maybe if I let you borrow it, you'll then like, you can Disney I don't know. That girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My, my, uh, like seventh grade brain was really, uh, yeah, there really torn uh, or eighth grade brain, whatever it was. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I did eventually get that CD back. But yeah, like there was this whole wave of d- adult contemporary. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have Santana who like, I mean, I think he who hired all of those guys for a record. Yeah. Like I think like he was famous. Yeah. But I think his like late nineties that, that, uh, what is that it's, record it's called? It's legacy building. I don't know. I don't remember what it's, it's like. Called, like it sold like 15 million copies. Yeah, that's like, it that's was like his so most successful many. release by a huge margin. Uh, and you couldn't escape it. Yeah. And no. just, and now that, that it's become a meme, the whole, uh, 
I'd rather uh, be listening to Smooth by Matchbox <laughs> by Rob Thomas and Santana. It's it's become a meme, but like it's meme it's, aside, it's like it's like making <laughs> it's fun good. of Creed or Pearl, like yeah. Creed especially is the easy one to dunk on, and it's like well, a lot of people liked it though, like, like I millions and millions and millions and millions of people like Creed. Yeah. What, <laughs> so. Um, I, uh, when I was around ninth grade, learned mm-hmm. how to play my sacrifice on the guitar. Oh, I can still play higher mm-hmm. on the guitar. And, and <laughs> let's, let's be clear that my sacrifice was like on the second big record. Like, it's not like it was like higher came out and everybody liked it for a while. And then we mm-hmm. all decided, Oh, actually we realized eh, it's not that great. But then no, my sacrifice was like a couple years later. So it was pretty, I, yeah, because <laughs> I remember they came out in the the dearth of uh, like that the second wave of um, yeah, when everybody's trying to new get metal again. Yeah, like new metal stuff and like stained and all that and disturbed route. Um, and so they yes, played their um, edgiest their edgiest song from the first record was the single, and then it was when the second record came out and Higher had a little bit more of an uplifting thing. And then he's like, actually, we're Christian. Then well, no, like, he always claimed like, he always claimed that he wasn't. He was like, "No, my dad's a pastor, but I'm not." Oh. A pastor. And that's just what I know to sing about. I thought he played his cards close to the best. Then when Higher came out, he's like, "This song is actually about Jesus." No, like, that was when that was when <laughs> Passion of the Christ came out, and he had a, he he recommitted his life. Is what he said. Um, oh boy! But then you also had Lifehouse. On the <laughs> on the heels of that too. There's another one, yeah. Like the name Lifehouse sounds like it's a praise and worship band, but they had big was secular hits. And the again, call, this you know was the call or the calling. There was some other band like that. There there were a bunch of them. There were a bunch of bands that sound like Switchfoot. Also, like got on the radio. Yeah, like I distinctly remember Pod playing on the radio rock station in my town, and they like I think it was School of Hard Knocks from the <laughs> from the uh, soundtrack a little Nicky. Oh my god! <laughs> I watched that movie recently. It sounds like it doesn't. Why? Uh, Why? <laughs> I, no, I I've never I, seen it. I saw that movie in theaters, in theaters. I did too. And I walked out, like I was a film snob then, like I was a junior (laughs) and I walked out and I was like, that was one of the worst movies I have ever seen. And all my friends were like cracking up. It's like, that was so funny. What are you talking about? It was great. And I was like, that was genuinely one of the worst (laughs) movies I've ever seen in my life. But no. So, uh, Rodney Dangerfield cameo though. Um, he plays the grandfather. He plays Satan's dad. I think you're the only guy that remembers. Like I forgot about because this I watched it two it months ago. <laughs> it's so bad, right? But so I remember that song playing on the radio station, and they like bleeped certain words in the POD yeah. song. Yes, to to oh. make it seem like they were cussing to make them cooler, I guess. Well, I distinctly remember being shocked at what they wouldn't wouldn't say on the Detroit uh, new rock alternative 89X uh, because before Columbine and after Columbine, there were different rules. Like, I don't know what those rules were, but I remember Weedis came out with that uh, perfect song, uh, Teenage Dirtbag, and they had to bleep, he brings a gun to school. 
Right. Um, but some of the I, other stuff in there, um, you know, that, that's not going to have any offensive weirds, but there was just a lot of stuff. Anything with any reference to gun yeah. was like suddenly bleeped I, after I, that. So I remember being around the Detroit area and I think maybe listening to 89X. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and there was some song that I knew. Uh, it's it's always weird to like listen to a radio station in another town because like there mm-hmm. is like a slightly different pool. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not now because everything's been syndicated so much. But like um, there, I remember there's some song they played that I knew, and the word "gun" was censored. This was mm-hmm. like 2005 or so. It was just like and, you just can't, and it wasn't it wasn't uh, censored at my home radio. And I was like, this is really weird. <laughs> why, yeah, why are they doing that? It's well, and like I remember with like rap music came under had a had a so much tough uh, uphill battle yeah. with that, especially gangster rap or whatever, uh, because then it was just like, oh, you can talk about selling and dealing drugs, you can talk about yeah. uh, uh, whatever all the sex stuff you want, but if you talk about like a drive by shooting, like your yeah. your stuff is edited, and uh, which also I, yeah. Like- I, as if rock and roll bands weren't singing about guns all the time. Well, t- exactly, exactly. Like, and guns are guns one of the and edgy, roses. Yeah, it's in the yeah, it's one guns of the edgy cool things. And yeah. so, Jamie's um, got a gun. It's yeah. This goes back into how there are different rules yeah, when the people making the rules don't understand the music as well. Where like uh, Guns and Roses. Even if you're a white old man, you're like, ah, I get this. Whereas then when you hear right. Biggie, you're like, I don't understand this. It scares me. Uh, yeah. We need to we need to censor this more. And if, and if your name is Tipper Gore, that instinct is increased. The one of the funny things that back back to VH1 in the '90s, there was a documentary about how the parental advisory label. Oh yeah. And I had no idea how much D. Schneider from Twisted Sister played in that. Like he really? was a he was like a key dude who was like testifying in front of Congress and was like going to war with Tipper Gore, like D oh, Snyder yeah, of all yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. for some reason D. he was Snyder one of the dudes. Uh, Jello, is it Belafonte from dead Kennedy's? Oh, Biafri. 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 Yeah. Jello Biafri. <laughs> like, I'm probably saying that wrong too. I, I remember reading something about uh, when Downward Spiral came out, someone at Congress talked about gangster rap like yeah. big guy, like big guy with a gun by nine inch nails <laughs> and Trent Reznor's like his comment was like y'all are stupid <laughs> that's all it was yeah was and and I mean tied up in the 90s music in fear mongering after Columbine was video games as well oh yeah and yeah. you know we're finally like the millennials are adults now like the youngest I think millennial starts at 1980. And if you were born in 1980, Something you're like 40 that, yeah. now. Yeah. So the whole video games cause violence argument doesn't work as well anymore, but they are still going for it. They're still going for it. Every time there's a shooting, they'll be like, oh man, this kid played a lot of like Call of Duty. And you're like, no, you know, <laughs> you're like, okay. I saw, I saw his kill stats. They sucked. <laughs> yeah, it very good. Um, uh, anyways, nineties. I think yeah. uh, I think it was a good argument to be made. It is the best uh, decade for music because you have everything from from emo explosion of sunny day 
to the mainstreamification of, of hip hop, crazy stuff like Beck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just nuts. It's nuts how much came out in a decade's time. And then, right. uh, and- as you mentioned, when it stopped being as profitable, things kind of splintered and right. things became more indie again, you know? Right. Right. And I, I still, I very frequently will listen to a record from the nineties and then be like, wow, this, hold on, let me check. This came out on a major label. Mm. <laughs> it's a, it's a bizarre. Again, thing. like I think mud honey had a record on a major label and they're maybe the least accessible of all the grunge bands. Uh, I know. Um, I think they did. Alice in Chains did, didn't they? Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Alice in Chains did. Uh, I feel like even some of Metallica's 90s records were on major labels. Oh, they definitely Which were like, because yeah. they, they, were, they pivoted they were more towards grunge. Right. They yeah. were an institution at that point, but like still like Metallica was not on the fringes anymore. Yeah. When they, when they did the Black Album and then yeah. like Woad and Reload, they were... Uh, uh, that song "Fuel." They had a big hit, "Fuel." Oh, like that's yeah, a yeah, grunge yeah. song. That's a grunge right. song. Like that's yeah. you know they kind of had gave up the thrash mantle for a while. Yeah. Um, even black, uh, the black album even like has bits of new metal in it. Like some of those riffs are pretty. I pretty I, syncopated. <laughs> like there, that's I have a, I had a friend who argued that that's where new metal started was with the black album. I have spent the better part of my life trying to like Metallica, like really trying. Like I intellectually know that they're groundbreaking and I can put on Master of Puppets and if I squint really hard, I can go, okay, this is good, I guess. But I just, it everything about the aesthetics of Metallica and thrash in general, thrash metal is not for me. I Yeah, Uh, I can... I can get into most a lot of thrash. Metallica's not Metallica's not for me. There are a few songs that are really great for the most part. And like some of those early stuff, some of the early albums, like there's some really indelible riffs and mm-hmm. really indelible tracks there. But like for the most part, it's just, uh, yeah. yeah. I often I often joke that like you know, my mom, my mom did told me like to not listen to Metallica and like, you know, as a little, little, uh, that's, that's what she knew as the satanic, right. As like, music. a well, yeah. no, like she told me not to listen to Metallica and like, as a little like youth group kid, I thought it was because they were like secular and evil. And then like, I grew up and listened to them and realized it's because they suck. <laughs> she, was, she was trying to save me. <laughs> All the Metallica there, fans are going to come for us this episode. There is a good documentary called some kind of monster uh that i highly encourage anybody who does creative things with other people to watch you don't have to like metallica because i don't really uh it's an interesting uh watch it's called some kind of monster from 04 yeah and it's just about them uh getting well james hatfield lead singer getting sober and trying to do late in life rock and or I shouldn't say late in life because it's a battle, but he was like fifty, yeah, and trying to be a rock and roller while having like a clean right. diet, being sober, being like, yeah. guys, I have to leave at three to, because I'm taking my kid to soccer practice now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be a great dad, uh, and it, it's yeah. a, it's a heck of a watch. Uh, I recommend it. You don't have to like Metallica, uh, yeah. but yeah. Anyways, uh, I I am nineties out. I don't have much more to say. Other than, yeah. uh, oh, John Stewart. 
John Stewart had a show in the nineties and Sunny Day Real Estate gets up there and they play in circles. And yes. my wife and I found it on YouTube a couple months ago. Like it came over my suggestions and we yeah, both yeah, looked yeah. at each other and went, what? And we yeah. click play and it's this clearly someone had recorded it on VHS and somehow right. it right. ended up on YouTube. And it's like a 20 something John Stewart being like, uh, I love these guys, you know, uh, Sunday yeah. Real Estate. And then they get up there and they, they play in circles and you're like, yeah. wow, the 90s. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was at Five Guys a couple of years ago and Seven played. Mm-hmm. On on like the because usually like Five Guys always has like it's a like classic rock mm-hmm. hits whatever like so they like Led Zeppelin and mm-hmm. uh, Rolling Stones and stuff but then like Sunday Day Real Estate played and I'm like this is bizarre. Um, yeah, when they play also, the music that I like in Target, I know that I'm <laughs> you know like Spoon Spoon is one of my absolute favorite bands, but they are very accessible and inoffensive and so spoon somehow ends up everywhere like on every store's overhead thing and i'm like i love this band but it kind of ruins it for me that they're playing spoon in target right now um a couple years ago i was at kroger and joy division played so This is so bizarre. Like, like if you weird. if you could go tell Ian Curtis, like, just hey, real quick, the hang stuff on, is gonna be played. Hang on. It's gonna <laughs> get life's gonna get better. They're gonna play. They're gonna play. Love will tear us apart. At you know, while uh, you're shopping for groceries, Kroger, and you're gonna get a whole bunch of royalties for it. Yeah, so, like life is gonna get better. I, yeah. Uh, also, side note on on Joy Division, my movie club we watched the joy division really the ian curtis biopic called control and uh it was one of the worst movies i've ever seen oh that's too bad i hated every minute of that movie oh that's too bad so we get to the group talk time and i'm the guy who put this joy division movie up and everybody's (laughs) quietly like uh, and then someone said, like, I hated it. And I was like, I hated it too. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay. We thought that you were going to be like mad because you loved it. And I'm like, no, it, this is what, not a good is, problem. Is it like the same vibe as like that Queen movie they made? I didn't see the, uh, oh, I didn't awful. see the Queen movie. It's, um, it's, it's so bad. Uh, I'm all, it's it just a poorly made movie. It's a very sure. poorly okay. made movie. There's not much else to say. Yes. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Anyway, that will that will be a good segue to the what are we listening to now? <laughs> like, because I um, over so on on my flight back from vacation last week was started reading the thirty three and a third book on unknown pleasures, and if anybody listening doesn't know the thirty three and a third series, it is excellent. It's a bunch of al- it's a bunch of books by different authors centering on one album and like there's a there's a mm-hmm. really big variety in like what sorts cool. of styles and sort of approaches they have to him but the one on unknown pleasures ended up being more like a career retrospective on joy division mm-hmm. and so it really like got me into thinking like cuz i haven't spent too much time with anything outside of the al- like the two main albums and so like i and i know level terrace apart of course but like mm-hmm. I I, I mean, that's what they released. Right, right. But like, 
you know, there have been so many like po- posthumous compilations and stuff yeah. like that. But like, I I just ordered uh, Substance, which is the singles collection that like starts okay. with the track Warsaw, <laughs> which okay. was like back when they were making punk music. Um, hmm. And then like goes all the way, it's all the, all the singles they have. And then like spending more time with Unknown Pleasures and Closer, which uh, as a, as a side note to Closer, um, there was a bit in the book where they talked about the, uh, the mistress that Joy, that Ian Curtis had at that point mm-hmm. um, was like, they got like an apartment together near the, near the studio mm-hmm. while they were recording that. And she said, it was like, it's terrible. It sounds like Genesis and Ian Curtis like flipped out. I was like, who listens to Closer by Joy Division and thinks, wow, this is like Genesis. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I can see why that would anger him. Uh, all right. He was like insistent that they needed to like rewrite some stuff and retract stuff and whatever. Cause it sounded like Genesis. I'm like, it doesn't at all. It's strange and alien and isolating, but it doesn't sound like Genesis. Um, my, what I'm listening to. So I don't remember what I said last week. So I might've said this. So if I did, I apologize, but every time I die is new record. Ah, radical. Yeah. Uh, I'm obsessed with it. I, uh, they keep putting out the hits. They keep, yeah. Uh, they had this whole streamed thing, uh, that I missed, but somebody luckily recorded it and put it on YouTube that I've been watching. And it's like, it just feels very old school uh, how we did things in the 2000s where it's like buddies making a right. half comedy, half concert video. <laughs> and that's what they do. Yeah. And the like start of the whole thing is that they have to have um, like a call. What are you calling it? Like the call a thon where you call a one telethon? and you tell them. Thank you. Yeah. And this guy's like, we need a, uh, $69. You guys owe me $69. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that number. Nice. And the one guy's like, uh, talk to, uh, you know, basis. He wrestles now. He's got to make money. Right. Like, and he's or like, the I'm guitarist. not borrowing money the from guitarist. Or the guitarist. He's like, I'm not making, yeah. I'm not asking for money. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, every time I die, I feel like I've grown with, I mean, they're, yeah. they're just as brutal as ever. Their album's called radical. The cover art is very, uh, 90s rad, but they have a song. Yes, yeah, really, so Frank. Uh, but they have a you know a song on there called a uh, Planet Shit, and it's a like song about cops killing unarmed black people, and it's like just as you know uh, upsetting, and you know especially because they're. They're a screaming and hardcore band, so it's upsetting to listen to. And he does a really great job, I think, delivering the point home. But then they they can pivot easily into more fun yeah. songs or to yeah. songs that don't have such a uh, heavy subject matter. And uh, yeah, I love that band. Yeah, which uh, also I'll say I this is the second podcast I record this weekend. Uh, on Friday night, I guest starred on my friend Nathaniel's Loon the Pod. He's in a band called Loon. They started a podcast about the band. And he also recommended that that record to me. So good. I'm probably gonna have to finally finally listen to it after you prattle on about it for two months. Is it's yeah. I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but if I mentioned it two weeks in a row, I don't care. It's it's fun. It's heavy. <laughs> I recommended it in uh, my my work Slack. I was trying to build uh, team camaraderie and 
uh, was just like, hey guys, like let's let's have a fun thread in Slack. What have you been listening to lately? And people were posting whatever, and I posted the war on the new war on drugs record and the new yeah. uh, every time I die record. And my war boss on drugs record also really good. It's really good. Um, my boss decided to listen to the every time I die record. And he was just like, that just blew up my eardrums and scared me. And I was like, I'm sorry, I should have. And then I realized like some, they're, I mean, they're pretty uh, offensive. I was like, uh, maybe I should have put some lyrical content warnings on your record. Sure, whatever. sure, sure. So I scared my boss with that record. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Nat, this has been a joy. Yeah, always. Number five. Number five in the can. We're going to start publishing them soon. Yes. But- you listener, dear listeners have been just, <laughs> just binging along this whole time. So, All right. Have a great week. You too. Thank you for listening to D2 Radio. This podcast is hosted and produced by Jesse Atkinson and Matt Fitzgerald, who apologize for their rambling, but they also won't adjust their behavior, so their apology should be taken with a grain of salt. If, for whatever reason, you want more, you can follow at D2RadioPod on all socials and visit D2RadioPod.com. Someone, please, sponsor us.